You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Hey, get your Bibles out and turn to uh, John chapter 11. Uh, John chapter 11, as we continue in our series, Jesus, who do you think you are? That's what the Pharisees, that's what the religious leaders were always challenging Jesus. Who do you think you are? These things you're doing, these claims you're making, these signs that are out there. Now, who do you think you are? And Jesus has already been answering the question through uh, the answer of I am. He answered it in lots of different ways in the book of John. And, and we're looking at it through when he said, I am. Um, remember back in Exodus, we've talked about this, when uh, Moses was being called of God. And, and uh, Moses is not sure what to say. And he says, who should I say sent me? And, uh, and God told Moses, you tell them. I am sent you. And so as Jesus is making these claims, uh, they understood he was a much more, making a much greater claim than he was just your next door neighbor. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And, and this weekend, we uh, want to take a look at the statement when he says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And the message is death is dead. But as he says it, even in uh, John 11, once again, it causes a ruckus. It causes some problems. In John 11:53, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to the town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Well, you've got your Bible open. I trust by now let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And um, although we're going to look at all of chapter 11 and a little bit of chapter 12, I'm going to read verses uh, 21 through 27 of chapter 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the reality that uh, we live in a land where we can hold your, your word in our hands. We can worship freely. We can lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, today, as we look at the bold assertion that Jesus makes, I am the resurrection. Father, it makes all the difference in the world. For the person in the room today who doesn't know you, Lord, it makes all the difference in the world. And for those of us who have trusted you moving forward, Lord, it makes all of the difference in the world. And so, Lord, I pray, give us ears to hear your word, God, minds to understand it, and then hearts, God, to passionately live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. 
Well, I want to dive right in, and uh, I've called this first part. Let's just get the story straight. There's a narrative that's going on here, and um, unlike uh, the other passages, often you go back, what was the context? What was the context? And, and some of it was just coming out of the chapter before, and that's why he's talking about what he's talking about. That's not, that's not the case in chapter 11. Uh, between chapter 10 and chapter 11, there's actually a gap of time. It might have been days. It might have been a couple weeks. We don't exactly know how long it was, but uh, some of the parables that are found in Luke 12 to 14. 14, uh, that's where they land, right in here. So this is not Jesus taking something from chapter 10 and then uh, bringing it into chapter 11, but chapter 11 is a narrative that happens as they're moving along in the timeline of their lives. And uh, so in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, now the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose, bro whose brother Lazarus is ill. And, uh, and so uh, these people, and Jesus loved them. We're going to see that in the text as we go through. Uh, and this guy's name is Lazarus. He's sick. He's so sick he's about to die. And, um, and so that's what this story is about. Remember uh, Martha and Mary? Remember Martha, Martha, Martha? Because she was the one always running around doing all the stuff. And, and um, Martha, Martha, Martha. Um, we're going to see a little bit of that even in uh, John 11 as she runs out to Jesus and serves again in, in chapter 12. And, and her sister Mary, well, uh, their brother was Lazarus and he's sick. Down in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so he hears the story, hears what's going on, and he says, this is not going to lead to Lazarus' death. Um, at the end of this, he's not going to be dead. But rather, God is going to be glorified. And so that's the frame that all of this sits in as we move forward. But Lazarus is sick. Um, we know the end of the story, so it's left us, we can be left to wonder some things, but um, in verse 5, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You ever have those like scratch your head moments going, what in the world were you thinking? Uh, people do that with me all the time. Uh, what were you thinking? Um, and so Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, and instead of getting up and heading directly to where he was, it says he stayed where he was for another two days. He stayed where he was for another two days. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 11, you're going to understand why he did it and, and why that was so important. But in chapter 6, I mean, verse 6, it just seems a, a little bit weird to us. And so as we go through, the, here's something for you to consider. Here's something for you to consider because we always want God to do stuff on our timeline. And uh, I was thinking about this. I wrote this down this week. Be careful when God does not work on your timetable or the way you want him to. He always will do what's best for you. Be careful when God doesn't work on your timetable because he's always going to do what's ultimately going to be best for you. And so Jesus waits two more days, and he doesn't go. 
The disciples said to him in uh, verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And so Jesus says, okay, let's go. After two days, they were seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was just having a, having a nap. He was resting. And, uh, and so Jesus says, I'm going to wake him from the sleep. So sometime during that two days, some probably that day, uh, Lazarus dies and Jesus goes, I'm going to awake him from sleep. Now, why do they use terms like that? Well, often in scripture, the term sleep was used to define someone who had died. It's more significant here because of what Jesus is about to do with Lazarus. But in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 2.10, it says David slept with his fathers and was buried. In 2, Corinthians 8, uh, 2 Kings 8.24, Joram slept with his father and was buried. In 2 Kings 13.13, 13, Joash slept with his father and was buried. 2 Kings 13.38, Jothan slept with his father and was buried. You get the idea? The sleeping has um, a sense when people died, they called it, uh, they had slept. In 2 Chronicles 26.23, talking about Uzziah, remember him? He's the guy in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Well, in, in 2 Chronicles 26, it says, Uzziah slept with his father and was buried. Okay, well, so that was an Old Testament thing, Pastor Paul. Is it a New Testament thing? Well, yeah, it is. In Acts 7, 60, talking about Stephen, Acts 7, verse 60, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Remember, he's being stoned, okay, at this point. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And so Jesus says, I'm going to wake him up from his sleep. And they didn't understand it. And so in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And look at verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. What? Lazarus died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not, I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus is going to do a far greater thing than they thought he might have done if he had got up and run immediately to Lazarus before he died. And then there's this interesting uh, little thing that's put in the middle of this um, in verse 16. Then we'll get back into the story, but it's put in Scripture, so I thought it's neat to point it out. So Thomas called the twin. Remember in the verses before, they just talked about other trend they're planning to kill you and all the rest. So here's doubting Thomas, right? That's what we call him, doubting Thomas. We shouldn't be too hard on him because we doubt all of the time as well. Uh, but look what he says. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, if that was Peter talking, it would have been, all right, let's go so we can die with Jesus. This is Eeyore speaking. All right, let's go. And when we get there, we're all going to die. Right? That's how it would have been. Much more than the way it would have been 
with Peter. It's like, I guess it's all over. We're all going to die. Let's go. It's in scripture. I didn't make it up. So um, I thought it was important to point it out to you. And then we get to the next part. We start to see some really, really cool things going on here. Um, Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus. He had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. Why four days? Was that important? Was it significant? Um, Tradition, not the Bible, but tradition said after you died, your spirit would hang around for up to four days. And so maybe it was four days because Jesus wanted to make sure they all understood this wasn't some bogus thing that was about to happen. What was about to happen was going to be real. This guy was really, really, really dead. I don't know, maybe. Um, Maybe it just took some time. They waited two days. It took some time to get there. But the reality is, Lazarus is really, really dead, and uh, it's important that we know that. And so Jesus comes, and uh, in verses 20, in the next verses, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here on time, if you had got here on, got, gotten here on time, my brother would not have died. Why? Well, because if Jesus had got there before he died, Jesus would have healed him. They've already seen those miracles. They already knew what he could do. But Jesus is about to demonstrate something and teach something that is so much greater, so much better than just healing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She still had hope. She still had a sense of faith. She didn't know what would happen. But what she'd been asking for was for healing. And her brother is now dead. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha, it's okay. Your brother will rise again. And she'd been to Sunday school. She understood some things. And she understood and said, Martha said to him, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know. I've studied. I know. He's dead and he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then uh, Jesus says this in verse 25, pivotal verse. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. She's on the, I know he'll be raised in that last day, somewhere down the way. It will all happen. Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. See, in that time, the Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection. They just, you died, it's over, basically, it's done. Um, The Pharisees, they believed there was a resurrection in the last day. And in that last day, uh, you would be raised up and there would be judgment and you would either go to heaven or you would go to hell. Simplicity, but that's what they believed. And so you had the Sadducees, you had the uh, Pharisees. Either way, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's creating this problem again. He's like sticking his head and sticking his nose in it. And, and he's like, I am the resurrection. The Sadducees are going, that's ridiculous. There is no resurrection. And the Pharisees are back on the, who do you think you are plan? 
Who are you claiming to be? You claim before to be the bread of life and the shepherd. You claim before those other things. But now you're saying you're the resurrection? You're the resurrection? Really? Who do you think you are? See, the resurrection was left to demonstrate the power of God, of what God could do. They believed in a resurrection, but they believed only God could do that. And now Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. So why was that so important? Lazarus is still in the tomb. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has not yet been raised. And so let's just stop and take a look at how important the resurrection really was. See, we got the end of the story. We've read it. We know what happens. Uh, but they didn't yet. And Jesus is making some claims about being pow- having the power over death and over judgment. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Why is it important? All the other religions in our world are founded by men and prophets whose end was the grave. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Uh, Paul gives six disastrous consequences if there is no resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, If there is no resurrection, then the preaching Christ would be senseless. It's a waste of time what we're doing. In verse 14, he says that. In verse 14, he says, faith in Christ would be useless. There is no salvation if there is no resurrection. All the witnesses and preachers of the resurrection would be liars. We're going to see some of them in just a minute. If there is no resurrection, they're all liars. No one would be redeemed from sin if there is no resurrection. All former believers would have perished if there is no resurrection. Christians are the most pitiful people on the earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 19 says, if there is no resurrection. But in verse 20, it says, but Christ indeed has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. I've told you this many times, but inscribed in my wedding band is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Um, that was uh, Sue's too, and that's our verse. And uh, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is that true? Because there's a resurrection. That's why it's true. All the good works man can do are useless if there is no resurrection. Serving Christ is a waste of time if there is no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. Jesus Christ is alive. And that's why our labor in the Lord is never in vain. Jesus testified that he would rise, rise from the dead and he did. The tomb was empty on Easter. Um, some people say, well, you know, obviously he just swooned. He wasn't really dead. Hey, they stuck him in a tomb and they put a rock in front of it. He would have died. Uh, some said, well, no, but the religious leaders, they came and they stole the body. Well, why would they allow that story to go on? If they wanted to make sure he was dead, they would make sure he was dead. Uh, Well, his followers came and they stole his body. If Jesus isn't risen, why would they give their lives for a lie? They wouldn't do it. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The disciples were immediately transformed. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that there were 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. And Paul says right in the middle of that text, and there are many still here. You could Google them. You could get their story. You could phone them. Okay, you couldn't do any of that. But you could talk to them. You could find out. You could hear the story of those who saw him. Why? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. 
The sheer existence of a thriving church demonstrates the resurrection from the dead. And then there are men like James, the brother of Jesus, who rejected Christ, who in 1 Corinthians 15, we understand, has trusted Christ because of the resurrection. And then there's Paul, Paul who wrote this, who was on the let's kill the Christians plan until he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is risen and it makes all of the difference in the world. In the Old Testament, even as Martha is talking, we're looking forward to a resurrection. We know there will be a resurrection. And what she didn't understand is unless Jesus does what he's going to do, they're all going to hell. But because Jesus Christ is going to be the one who's going to conquer death, he's going to pay the price, then there's the opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ for us to have salvation. The resurrection is central to our faith. The resurrection is critical. Look what he goes on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, yes. Um, she, excuse me. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. It all happens by believing. It's all about believing. It's all about believing in the right thing. It's all about believing in the right person. It's all about the understanding of the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to her, do you believe? Do you believe? We see it four times in these couple of verses right here. You see it in verse 15, 42, 45. All over the book of John, it talks about believing, believing, believing. Do you believe this, he says to her? Do you believe this? What about us? I am the resurrection and the life. See, we know the end of the story. We understand what happened at the cross. We understand about the resurrection. We understand about the ascension. We've got the whole word of God before us. And as Jesus says to Martha, do, do you believe this? I say to you, do you believe this? Sue, do, do you believe this? Jason, do you believe this? Dave, do you believe this? George, do you believe this? Sarah, do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And look what she says. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the anointed one, the son of God who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Lazarus is dead at this point. Jesus has not yet raised him. Jesus is not yet risen. And he asked her, and all by faith, she says, yes, I believe. I believe you are the anointed one. I believe you are the Christ. I believe that you're the one who has come into the world. Do you believe this? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses that and is saved. Biblical saving faith is trusting in who Jesus is. It is believing. It's transferring your trust from all those things that you hoped in, all those things you worked so hard for and understand that you were separated from God and you couldn't fix it and you didn't deserve all that God is offering in you and putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Had a stool out here a couple of weeks talking about faith. That's what believing is. When I stop trusting in what I'm trusting in and I get on the stool as it were and I take both feet off the ground and I trust of what God has done. Do you believe this? If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that he loved you enough to die for you. And that he is the resurrection for you. The proof of who he was and what he said he would do. And and what do you have to do? You just have to believe. You have to believe. Believe that Jesus was the person he said he was and did what he said he would do, believe. I read this prayer this week. It goes like this. God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sin separates me from you. I know that it left me unforgiven. My sin, if left unforgiven, my sin will separate me from you for eternity. I believe and trust that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died to pay the full penalty for my sins and that he rose from the dead on the third day. I'm relying on his sacrifice alone to bring me into a right relationship with you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Help me to grow closer to you each and every day for the rest of my life. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I remember when I was a kid hearing somebody say, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. It's kind of cool. You kind of get your head around that a little bit. But um, if you're born once, if you're born once, you die twice. Sometimes Christians say um, Christians don't die. Okay. There is a theological sense that that's true because the moment your body dies, you go to heaven. Spiritually, you don't die. But be careful when you say that, right? Because, because I, we, we buried Sue's dad. We saw him. He was in the box. He, he was dead. He was dead. We all die once. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. This body is getting frail. It's falling apart. Every day I groan a little bit more. And unless the Lord returns and takes me, uh, one day I will die. Um, it's appointed unto man once to die. Um, and so if you are, if you're only born once, you die twice because you die physically, but then you die spiritually, right? You die spiritually. There'll be eternity separated from God in hell. There's that death, that second death if you're born once. If you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Physically, it's appointed unto man once to die. But because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of the hope that we have in our salvation in him, we live eternally 
with him. Have you been born twice? And if you haven't been, you can be today. And John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom is of God. All right, well, the story goes on, and we need to keep moving along here. And so uh, here's what we see. Um, Jesus is there now. He's with her. And uh, in verse 28, when she had said this, said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And uh, when she heard it, she rose quickly. And uh, she goes running out, and the people think that she's going to the tomb, and they follow her, and she gets there, and it says, uh, Mary rose quickly and got out and followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. They followed her. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says exactly the same thing Mary said probably for the last four days. They've been saying, if the Lord had been here, he would not have died. If Jesus had only come and healed him, he would not have died. But Jesus is about to do the way greater thing, the way better thing. In verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And they're about to see it. Now they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around and that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I don't know how he came out. I don't know what he had to do to get out the door. All I know is he comes out and he's all bound out. He's like a penguin probably coming out. His face is all still covered. And they're like, uh, no, no, he's had the resurrection. Get rid of all of that stuff. The grave clothes are off. He is alive. He's risen. And some of us, sometimes in our spiritual walk, we walk around like we got the grave clothes on and we can't see what's going on. He says, get those things off. He's alive. And isn't it neat that the finished work of Jesus Christ, in spite of the reality of our sin and all that we still wrestle with, the grave clothes are gone. They're gone. We're alive. Well, look what happens. Look what happens. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus, what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, um, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Can you imagine? Reread that verse. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. They saw what had happened and they're still denying the Lord. Um, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, remember him? 
We're going to hear about him again when we get to the death and burial and the, tri and the uh, trials and all the rest. One of those Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. There are five different groups of people who respond to what's just happened here. And from it, there are probably five different responses that people have to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first group is found in verse 45. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, they believed in him. They believed. A whole group of people. They watched. They saw. They understood. And they believed. I, I believe that's what represents probably most of us in the room. We've understood the claims of Jesus Christ. And we have believed but that's not the only response. In verse 46, there's a whole group of people that abandoned him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The first group accepts him. The second group, they abandon him. They defect. They jump ship. They walk out. They, they go back to what they were before. They're looking for something else, but they abandon Jesus. You see that in verse 46. In verse 47, there's another group of people that antagonize. Uh, verse 47, here's what it says. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. It, to antagonize means to make hostile or to be unfriendly. Uh, we're starting to see that more and more in our nation. Um, you know how we know that? You just say the name Jesus and you watch what happens. And the antagonism that's there. The unwillingness to even consider the Lord. Uh, just this past week, a whole a concert series that was to be down in Dundas Square, I believe, for next year. Canceled. Why? Because they're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to sing about Jesus. The whole group of people, when they hear the gospel, become antagonistic. So some accept. Some abandon. Some antagonize. Some are filled with anxiety. Look in verse 48. For if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and, and the Romans will come and, and they'll take away both our, our place and our nation and they get all filled with anxiety of what's gonna happen because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and that happens as well and we see that. And then there's this last response and it's in 49 to 53 and it's Caiaphas's response and it's a response of anger. It's a response of anger. You don't know at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And he's filled with anger and he's filled with hatred and he's filled with bitterness and he determines what's going to happen. Hey church, you know what I love about the whole Caiaphas thing? He was a pawn in the hand of Almighty God. He was a pawn in the hand of Almighty God. That Jesus would die. And it would be on Caiaphas. And it would be on the Romans. And it would be on us. But ultimately, God's plan would be fulfilled. 
And Jesus would die because God said Jesus would die. Not because Caiaphas said Jesus would die. He was just a little pawn that God used. In it, he says, uh, he must die for the nation. It's interesting, we just came uh, back from Harvest U, a bunch of us this last week, and the theme was risen for the nations. Risen for the nations. Risen for the nations. Before Jesus could be risen for the nations, Jesus had to die for the nation. And even in the anger in that response, Jesus died and he is now risen. And it makes all of the difference in the world. The fulfillment is the dying for the nation so that Jesus could rise. So we could have eternal life. Well, Jesus, who do you think you are? I am the resurrection and the life. If I don't do what I'm going to do, every man will perish and there will be no hope. I am, he says. But who do you think you are? Hey, church. So who do we think we are? Look over in uh, chapter 12 for just a couple of minutes. In, in chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus is there. Uh, Martha, she's still running around serving, and um, uh, Lazarus is reclining. And, and then it says in verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance and the perfume. But Judas, here he goes, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who he was about to betray him, said, why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and, and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and had, having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it from the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you you do not, but you do not always have me. And so they're there, meal's going on, Lazarus is reclining, and Mary comes to anoint Jesus with this ointment. And uh, 300, 300 denarii. This wasn't some Walmart, cheap, excuse me, Walmart people. This was not some cheap Walmart perfume. A denarii, one denarii, was one day's wages for a laborer. One denarii. One day's wages for a laborer. This costs 300 denarii. Most of you don't work 300 days in a year. So take your annual salary, and that's what's being poured out here. For a general laborer, 30, 35, 40, I don't know, $1,000 is being poured out here. She wasn't holding on to things. She was letting things go, and yet we hold on to things so tightly. 300 denarii. But then look down in verses 9 to 11. This is the so what moment. This is the who do you think you are moment for me anyways. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, 
but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You have to imagine, people are hearing the story, people had seen him, they're coming back, they want to make sure this is all still really going on, and uh, it, it, probably a little bit of a zoo going on. Everybody wants to see Lazarus because he has been resurrected. And um, remember, they're wanting to kill him as well. Um, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because he's messing up their plans now. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. He now raises Lazarus from the dead. So now you have the one who can raise him from the dead they want to put to death. And the one who is raised from the dead they want to put to death. But I love this last part of the verse. Or verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Because he had been resurrected. Many people were going away and believing in Jesus. Who's believing in Jesus? Because you have been resurrected. Who can see the evidence of life in you because you have been resurrected? Now I get it. This was a physical thing that happened. The guy was dead, laid out, he's alive, he's walking around. That's the physical picture of what's happened, but what has happened in us? Death is dead is the name of this message. We are alive in Jesus Christ. Now who do you think you are? Whose life is being changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality of it for you. What difference has the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the dead made in your life? And what difference is it making in the lives of others? Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for the challenge of it. I pray for people in this room today who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ and that today, God, today, Lord, you would help them to understand, open the blind eyes that they can see who Jesus is and what he's done. And today, put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. But because of the resurrection, we have life and we have it abundantly. So Lord, followers of Jesus Christ, those of us in the room who have put our faith in Christ, we're no better than the person who hasn't. We're just changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes all of the difference in the world. Are we passionate about that? Are we passionate followers of Jesus Christ the Lord? God, break me of myself. Break us of ourselves. And give us eyes to see and hope and trust and to live out for the fame of the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray these things.